The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, welcome to this episode of Dunked on Prime. Nate and Danny answer reader questions in a mailbag format. They took questions on Twitter where anybody could submit what they wanted to ask. Uh, and if you like these kinds of things, if you subscribe to Dunkdown Prime, there are multiple other ways to ask Nate and Danny questions. They do uh, subscriber-only chats on the Discord. Uh, they've done those in text form every month. We're also working on and implementing doing those in audio form for subscribers. Lots of opportunities for subscribers to get their questions answered. So if you're interested in that, you can subscribe to Dunked on Prime at dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. Welcome on to the Western Conference 15 and 60 and lots of interesting stuff to get to. It was a fun weekend of basketball. I'm sure we'll talk a lot about that, including a, a game that I thought was one of the most interesting of the year, even though both teams had guys out as, you know, it's basically always the case during the regular season after the first two weeks or so. But I think we're going to take two hours here of recording time, get through as many of your questions as we can, then maybe it'll spill over a little bit to tomorrow as well. Thanks so much to everyone who contributed with these great questions. And it's we appreciate your help in creating great content, but also enjoy a chance to serve you by answering your questions. So Danny, I want to start by talking about last night's game, Golden State and Boston. My feeling out of this, and we won't hit on the Boston side as much because this is the West 15 and 60, but I guess my biggest takeaway, even though Andrew Wiggins didn't play, no Al Horford, no Rob Williams for the Celtics, is just that Golden State remains totally dangerous. I'm just not that worried about them. I'm largely in the same boat. Uh, our dunked on prime colleague, Seth Partnow, and I had an argument about this on, on his show a little while ago, and he basically the idea is like, well, are you worried about the record stuff? I'm like, they're, they still have the fastball. Like, that was my theory of the case. And it is different without Otto Porter and some of the other support, support players around. But the Warriors, they're a challenging team to defend when they have their best players. And that's not helped by the Celtics playing so aggressively and drop despite Horford and Robert Williams not participating. Like, Blake Griffin in a drop against the Warriors is not going to go well. But one of the other important takeaways for me was Golden State did a much better job in transition defense than they, they have at times this year. And that really short-circuited a lot of what Boston wanted to do because the Warriors have a good half-court defense. They were better in this game than I thought. But that effort back was also in stark contrast to the Celtics, who did a terrible job in transition defense. Yeah, they really struggled. And the Warriors are tough to deal with uh, in transition. And you know, I mean, probably the biggest single takeaway from this game was that 
Jason Tatum had such a struggle again, and his newfound finishing at the rim was not in evidence. He missed some pretty easy bunnies over Draymond Green in the second half, although no finish over Draymond is easy. Like he just surprises guys with his contests in a way that they're not really used to. Uh, well, but, and Nate, a stat on yeah. a stat on that. We're not, I'm going to use the full paint because of the way that Chase Center scorekeepers do it. But Jason yeah, Tatum, the, the fact that they score uh too many shots at the rim as uh as as floater range so overall tatum four of 12 in the paint in this game he didn't take any mid-rangers so that that's a good a good measure of how much trouble he had finishing and tatum only took he took seven free throws in the game but i think a couple of those were generated by non-paint touches yeah so golden state it, it doesn't seem like for whatever reason that he's able to just get the separation that he's gotten it in against other teams against golden state maybe that would change but yeah i continue to think that golden state will kind of punch above their regular season weight in that matchup although let's see when robert williams comes back but for golden state the key things that i was concerned about for them in their early struggles and just to give their stats to put those struggles into context they are now 14 and 13 three and three since we last checked in on them they have been terrible in the clutch it seems particularly on the road they have lost so many clutch games on the road and the the fall from ahead in utah with draymond green steph curry and andrew wiggins all not playing uh, the latest example of that where the utah jazz won their first game i think ever trailing by four points or more in the last 10 seconds of a game (laughs) (laughs) where they they gave up a three and then jordan Poole was weak with the ball got it taken away and they gave up a dunk to lose it uh but they're part of their clutch struggles means their net rating is actually per cleaning the glass plus 3.2 seventh in the nba they're eighth on offense 12th uh, on defense they project for the fifth seed 46 and 48 wins by the two projection systems playoff odds over 80 percent by both of them so and nobody really running away here in the west i still as we talked about it i think we did a watfo on it maybe a week ago of just I still project them to get a top four seed in the West and certainly top six, unless the injuries hit, which they haven't yet. So I I guess I'll put it over to you since I just talked for a while. What did you see as the main problems for them in the early going and how fixed are those? The biggest problem was the Warriors were an absolute disaster in the minutes when Stephen Curry was not on the floor. And the way that Steve Kerr fixed that was by A, excising certain players from the rotations. James Wiseman, other than the game in Utah where a bunch of guys didn't play and he only was on the floor for like five eight minutes something in that range he hasn't been in the rotation and then i would say the more important thing there has been this shift in the overall bench where draymond green clay thompson are coming out a little earlier and then those guys are playing a fair portion usually they come out earlier in the first and third and then come in at the beginning of the second and fourth and so that creates a more balanced group one of the lineups that they've gone to a lot is pool either clay thompson or divincenzo then kuminga who's playing a lot better anthony lamb and draymond green and samus esfandiari had the stat earlier on Sunday that it's a small sample size to be abundantly clear. But when Lamb, Kuminga, and Draymond Green have played together in 58 possessions, the Warriors have a plus 59.5 net rating. Yeah, not bad. So uh, uh, that's uh, an interesting front court that uh, has some, like Lamb is really probably more of the three as a shooter in that group, but plays more as the four on defense. And Kaminga really is, is guarding one through three. And I think he's been pretty solid there. And we talked about a little bit of how 
and I thought it continued in this game of Kaminga is just starting to get an understanding of how to play with the Warriors stars uh, and just execute and just his overall effort level, particularly on defense. It's really exciting. I, I love seeing a guy really start to get it defensively. We'll talk a little bit about Zion, another one of these guys who just has great tools and all of a sudden figures it out. Like LeBron James is another guy like that early in his career. It was a bad defender and he was young and he figured it out to how to be a really good defender. And so seeing it come on for these guys who have good physical tools, not only guarding one-on-one, but also being able to execute in the team game is oh, pretty exciting. That I wholeheartedly agree. I wanted to ask you a question because in person we were there, there was a real stir when Jonathan Kamege kind of lost the ball a little bit and then he dunked on Jason Tatum. And I was surprised because there's the, always this time delay, especially in a national game between what we see and them like, oh, Twitter is going to go crazy. And then it didn't really. Did that dunk just not pop on TV the way that it did in person? Uh, it made the NBA.com top 10. Okay. Yeah. So somebody somebody at the NBA at least th- thought that it did. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I thought it's not as exciting because he got it knocked away on the first attack, you sure. know, and then, and then off the recovery, like Tatum was kind of out of position and then got ducked out. Like it was, it was kind of wasn't a fair fight because Tatum actually stopped it on the first one, but yeah, I mean, it was it was pretty impressive for sure. Um, and, and then yeah. the, another big thread of this game that we have to talk about is it was a strong Clay Thompson performance on both ends of the floor. He was 14 to 26 from the field, 10 of, I think it was 10 of 15 on twos, four of 11 on threes. So that's 34 points plus nine in 36 minutes. And Clay, you know, like when he has his feet under him, just makes those jump shots at a ridiculous rate. He did have a number of Celtics aggressive contests out to the three point line and then just dribbled in and took a long two and he made six of 10 mid-rangers in the contest on Saturday. Yeah, but I, I, I didn't he, love his shot selection, but no. for once they were actually going, but he had uh, eight uh, through Seth uh, Senesis, he's sending out these reports uh, the day after the game using the tracking data. He had eight self-created shots, which is certainly more than you would typically like for him, but uh, the ball was going in. I mean, I, I was interested. I watched the game later to see his stat line where he didn't actually go too crazy from three. He was four of 11. So I'm like, how did he, and he had two of two from the line. So how did he get 34 points? And it was those mid rangers. Right. And so, I, but I thought he played well overall. I thought he did a good job defensively on yeah. various different matchups. And the, the overall energy level for Clay, I thought was like yes. his cutting off the, like he actually got, a number of leak outs. There was a, he got a block from behind on Tatum. Like you could tell he really was feeling fresh after having a couple of days off. Agreed. And Kavon Looney, I, I thought he had a, a less impactful game than some defensively. Like it, we saw this a little bit in the game against the Pacers where the Indiana just kind of got into a rhythm a little bit when he was out there on a switch. But Looney did a great job on the defensive glass. He did a good job on the offensive glass. And with this iteration of the Celtics without their two best bigs, I thought he he did a nice job overall. Draymond Green played with energy and transition. The rest of his offensive game kind of work in progress. And then something that I couldn't quite figure out is that in the very early going, for whatever reason, the Warriors <laughs> were actually running more through Jordan Poole than Steph Curry. Like Curry didn't have a point or an assist until I think like the three minute three minutes remaining in the first quarter and then 
Steph Curry had a Steph Curry game. So like, I, I don't know if that was that they were easing in. Marcus Smart was guarding him. He was being very physical. And I don't know, but he ended up with a good game. So you, you, I, it was something I was fixated on in the very early going, but then it sorted itself out. And one other quick point, he did get called for three fouls in 17 minutes, but the aggressiveness defensively and on the glass for Dante DiVincenzo, it's, it's not the same as what Gary Payton did, but it gives the Warriors a jolt from the guard position in sort of a, like, it's not the same, but it's kind of like a similar net impact when, when DiVincenzo's going well. Yeah, and I thought a big strength for the Warriors in terms of the matchup with this team as well is like they were an awesome defensive rebounding team last year, and they that's been another reason why their defense hasn't been at the same level. Getting DiVincenzo back in the lineup really helps with that. Kaminga, I think, has been a better rebounder uh, so far. And Kaminga had, or, or sorry, DiVincenzo had seven defensive rebounds that 17 minutes. Uh, Kavon Looney looked a little bit refreshed as well after the break. And, and a couple other notes here just on this matchup overall from Seth Stats that I thought were interesting. Not only was Jason Tatum 6 of 21, uh, he was 2 of 9 from 3. All 9 of those 3s were contested. So he's yes. not, he wasn't getting set up really by anyone else for open ones. Uh, although he did actually get, he was shooting off the catch a little bit more. Only 10 of his 21 field goal attempts uh, were self-created, but he just wasn't able to make them. Uh, his finishing in the paint, you mentioned how he didn't shoot well. His contested finishing in the paint, he was only 4 of 12 on those. And then Tatum also only 5.6 or percent playmaking usage, which is very low uh, for him and that incorporates not only assists but potential assists so you can you can't say oh the ever his teammates were missing shots that's why this that metric incorporates also passes that lead to a shot and then the warriors didn't allow any uncontested three-point attempts really from the good shooters for boston like brown only got one and who are the two guys who took four uncontested three-pointers marcus smart and Derek white and they went one out of eight on those those are the guys that they probably want shooting those uncontested three-pointers and by comparison steph curry had three or sorry he made three of four uncontested three-pointers clay had two pool had three so that's a higher proportion of the guys that you don't want shooting from the warriors perspective all right, let's get into now another really interesting game. And I'm glad we got to it because it looks like Devin Booker is not going to play in the rematch of this set in New Orleans. But New Orleans and Phoenix and New Orleans continues now to be ahead of the Phoenix Suns. The Pels have won six in a row since we last checked in on them. They are second in the NBA with a 7.1 net rating, 17 and 8 overall. They are six on offense. That's been going up and more impressively third on defense. And they've been doing these wins now they've had an easier schedule right like their two games against the Warriors were back-to-backs the Warriors didn't play their guys in either of those they've had some Spurs games they've had some Houston games etc but the good teams that they played they completely shithoused the Raptors on that game that we did it for the NBA strategy stream and, and I thought they controlled things pretty well and they're doing it essentially without Brandon Ingram and Herb Jones and also when you might say, oh, is Brandon Ingram going to come back and fuck it up? Well, actually, when they've had CJ, Ingram, and Zion out there in limited time, that's been very effective also. Uh, so, yeah, they now project for the two-seed in Raptor, two-seed in ELO, and over 94% chance of making the playoffs in both projection systems. So, for those of you guys who submitted questions on the Warriors, submitted questions on the Pels and Suns, we're going to actually get to those at a later point, probably tomorrow, But because we wanted to talk about uh, this game instead on well, Friday. And- 
Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences, hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix Sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us man i just love american giant just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us i have a place i want to start and that is i didn't see it until a little bit later but monty williams was complaining 
uh, after the game about the free throw disparity between these two teams <laughs> and so talked about how they both compete in the paint. Bullshit. I have a lot of respect for Monty Williams and coaches have a lot of complicated obligations, but here are some stats on that. The New Orleans Pelicans took 56 shots in the paint in the game. 31 in the restricted area is basically the same amount as the Suns took in the entire painted area. And then another 25 from floater range. They were dominating the paint. That also, also New Orleans grabbed 34% of available offensive rebounds. And all, their team also doesn't have DeAndre Ayton, who gets paint touches but doesn't really draw fouls. Ayton yeah. took yeah, five. Yeah, guess, guess what? He doesn't, he doesn't draw fouls against anybody so against anybody exactly and so for monty williams to try to equate what the suns do in the paint either generally worth noting here that phoenix on the season as great as they are 27th in free throw attempt rate new orleans pelicans are 11th and 13th in offensive rebounding and that you know when they're closer to full strength those numbers of course go higher and so i just thought that it was a great it was a great way for me to be like yeah the reason you lost wasn't the free throw disparity it was that you got your asses kicked in the paint by a team that kicks ass in the paint so to that end and there are so many huge stories from this game i think we're going to spend a lot of time on this game because there are so many uh, i thought really interesting themes but the Pels put up 128 they largely controlled the game Phoenix got back into it briefly and even tied it at 105 in the fourth before the Pels pulled away and we can talk about that sequence but New Orleans 128 Phoenix 117 New Orleans 8 of 27 from three Suns 22 of 44 and yet the Pels just really controlled this one so that's uh that shows you that this was I mean this is more and it felt that way too as we were watching it it really felt like Phoenix did not have answers in a number of ways that which we could talk about and I I suppose Zion Williamson might be the first of those things they did not have an answer for holy shit yeah Zion to get the overall stats out there 35 points on 13 of 17 from the field 9 of 12 from the line 7 rebounds 4 assists and oh plus 30 in 37 minutes yeah and he also he only had four assists but uh did have 15 percent playmaking usage which was uh by far the highest on the team and the sun spent most of the game the entire first half uh, i believe and then a fair amount of the second half with deandre ayton not guarding zion williamson there were a couple of plays in the third where Aiton was finally matched up straight up on Zion and they'd elected to put Aiton on either Larry Nance or Valanchunas when Valanchunas was in they did put Aiton on him the entire time when Nance was in the second half they tried putting Aiton on Zion and Zion two of his four misses uh, that 13 to 17 from the field came against DeAndre Aiton one-on-one but I think Larry Nance got the offensive rebound on both of those (laughs) so uh and but I mean just what a problem Zion is they were posting him up a lot early in the season and you know it seemed like maybe they were doing that because they had CJ and Ingram together like that Nets game that we did early on and Zion just didn't look comfortable he was going left all the time he didn't look as explosive as I remembered and they really stopped posting him up at all uh they want him instead to be facing the basket and nobody I, I I don't think there's a single non-center other than maybe you know like a Draymond Green or PJ Tucker like you need that level of strength that and I would love to see we haven't seen much Draymond against Zion but unless you got that level of strength like just guarding the guy one-on-one 
attacking the basket. Like, it doesn't matter that he can't shoot. You want to back up? Okay, now you just gave him even more of a runway to just go right past you. He's not going to commit a charge because he's too fast. He's going to get his shoulder past you. Like, Mikhail Bridges, right? Like, he got switched onto a couple times. Tory Craig was the primary defender. Mikhail Bridges, it doesn't matter whether he can slide his feet with Zion or not because Zion is just, he's too strong and he's too quick. Like, he just gets to his spot and Bridges can't do anything about it. And he does it legally without, like, just running the guy over either. Or if you do are lucky enough to actually cut him off on one of those hard attacks when he like kind of puts you in the mix he's going right or left now uh then he'll just spin back and leave the guy in the dust too like so basically anyone on phoenix could not stay in front of there was no chance all they had to do is just give zion the ball and just let him isolate from like the free throw line area and he would just get right to his spot and score every single time it was ridiculous it it was incredible and if you if willie green wants to he can like they did a lot two years ago you can have a guard screen for him and create some different matchups get force a little bit of miscommunication there and they did that a few times um yeah well well, actually i want to build on that point because when they put ayton on him and you know he missed a couple of shots on ayton and you know those are ones that like he was capable of making but it's a more contested finish at the rim so then what they did is they just said all right we're gonna have jose alvarado who is a nasty screener guarded by campaign screen for zion and i'd say all right you know like maybe like and this is happening like inside the arc all right why aren't you just that then you can blitz it right well deandre ayton has no idea how to like play on ball pick and roll defense and like get over a screen and like direct the ball and then you know part of it was campaign was just uh, spaced out but Alvarado, who's a, a talented screener, like all he has to do, and he moves quickly, all he has to do is flip the angle of the screen, and then the help is completely out of control. And Zion is so fast at just crossing over, changing direction, and rejecting a screen that that and then there's just nobody else. Like I think the only way you can deal with him is you know Milwaukee Bucks type of, of rim protection, where okay, you've you've got a secondary rim protector in addition to someone who can like deal with Zion one on one, or maybe you just straight up double team him. Up at the top and, and get him off the ball, but New Orleans has plenty of capable players, even without uh, Brandon Ingram and Herb Jones. So uh, it's unless you just have incredible team defense. I mean, and surely you would say like Phoenix just wasn't dialed in enough. Like you just got to get more guys at the elbows helping on him. But even then, he's just so strong and so quick. Like it's not even compared to like a Giannis. Like it's a totally like the stats look the same where they shoot from. But like Zion is much harder for like a wing to just keep in front of than Giannis is. And he's got well, he doesn't have these long loping strides. He just gets there so fast and he's so compact. The other thing that Zion, I guess you could say more accurately, he doesn't do that makes him harder to defend is he doesn't settle for those jump shots the way that Giannis does. Giannis no. tries to prove himself and say, oh, I can take this shot. And Zion doesn't give a shit. It's just like, I'm, I'm going to bash you. That's all. That's what's going to happen right here. You, you are going to end up in a fine powder because of me. And I absolutely love that. It's a part of what makes Zion one of my absolute favorites to watch. And it may, you know, it seems like it's a lot of work. It seems like it's a lot of a lot of stress, but he has managed it really well. And it also, as you kind of you kind of got into this with the Larry Dance offensive rebounds, it it ends up tying in in a very interesting way with some of the strengths of his teammates. I mean, he often plays with a very good offensive rebounding big who is let's call it an intermittent floor spacer is probably the way I would describe JV and and Larry Nance Jr. And so that 
combination, though. It gives you those second chance opportunities. And when they play with more reliable spacing, you know, like CJ or Trey Murphy that you have to actually defend out at the three point line, it's like, well, then where's the help going to come from all these different things? And I am extremely excited to see this Pelicans team in a best of seven series, ideally against a similarly talented team, just to figure out what in the world teams are going to try to do with this. And honestly, I think it's probably been a good thing that CJ and Ingram have been out for a little bit because now they're just giving the ball to Zion like every time. Yeah, except when Valanciunas is on the floor. Valanciunas actually has a had a higher uh, a higher scoring usage than Zion did in this game on his way to four out of sixteen. So that he he's the one thing where I I think things are going to have to get sorted out a little bit. Um, let, let's hit on a few more things from this one. You know, again, um, yeah. One one of them that you tweeted about, which I thought was such a such an interesting thread of this game, yeah. was Chris Paul's defense. And you and I have both been staunch Chris Paul believers for a long time. And unless you want to, I don't need to talk too much about the drama at the end of this nonsense. But it has been jarring over the last six eight months teams are going after chris paul more aggressively now and they're succeeding more and honestly they could have been doing this like he's yes he's strong he's got good hands he had a reputation for all defense but like he hasn't been able to like slide quickly laterally uh, over the last five years it's just he had a reputation so teams didn't go after him and now of course the culture just in general is more to go after small guards but teams just gave him a pass i don't know why they did i I think they teams could have been doing this years and years ago it's not like oh man he suddenly declined it's just they're actually trying him now teams just never tried it before and to make him actually and it's not you don't try to overpower him with the bigger player. Like you get him out in space and just attack. And so everyone had license to do that in any sort of a scramble situation. Like Najee Marshall was able to to just get up ahead of steam and, and blow by him. And Chris, you know, he's kind of he's not going to just move his feet and slide and cut people off. Like he's just not capable of doing that at this point in his career. He wants to kind of get into a hand fighting and like chuck you a little bit and like. Uh, you know, he's not really going to like even try to take a charge. You know, he'll he'll try to draw fouls on offense, but not really uh, on defense. You know, unless the only thing he'll try to draw is the loose ball foul when he'll just fall down at like the slightest hint of contact. So, yeah, that's going to definitely be a little bit of a concern. And then particularly the other thing you got to point to also for Phoenix is just, and, and yes, Cam Johnson is out for them, but the overall lack of size is just a major problem. There's, they tried to fix it in some ways. They're actually going to start Sharich today, and I don't know if that's going to fix anything or not, uh, with, but with Booker out. And worth noting that Booker did not play the last two minutes of this uh, after it kind of was out of reach uh, due to uh, left hamstring soreness. But other than DeAndre, and, and Aiton, by the way, was still negative 11 in 40 minutes. Uh, they just don't have anyone else uh, with size or rebound. You know, Torrey Craig played 30 minutes. He's starting for Cam Johnson. And Cam Johnson might be able to help in terms of spacing the floorboard. But, like, they're 22 of 44 for three. Like, you're not going to do better than that, whether Cam Johnson plays or not. And so just the, the overall lack of size and... You know, Larry Nance was killing them, but also just uh, no the rim protection. Like Aiton is like an okay rim protector, protector, and they just don't have uh, much else there. So, um, oh yeah. Before I forget, I'll do the Sun stats. Um, sixteen and ten on the season, three and four since the last fifteen and sixty. They are now fifth in the NBA in net rating.
rating, third in offense, 14th in defense. The 538 models, Raptor projects them to win 50 games. ELO projects them to win 49. Both would be the four seed, interestingly, in the Western Conference. About a 90% chance of making the playoffs on either model. So Booker struggled to 5 of 17. I'm not sure how much the hamstring was hurting. It was 2 of 8 from 3. But I thought it was very noteworthy that basically every time he attacked Dyson Daniels, he didn't get a good shot. And, you know, it was like, you know, shots that Devin Booker can't make at times. But not what I would consider a good shot. Uh, you know, I, I don't remember what the stats are. I think Andrew Lopez tweeted it out. But I don't recall Booker scoring a bucket on Daniels. And then whenever it was Najee Marshall or Trey Murphy or CJ McCollum or someone else on a switch, then Booker was able to score much better and you know, he ended up 5 of 17 for 14 points so but I thought Dyson Daniels he's really intriguing me as the possibility of becoming almost like a bigger version of Alex Caruso where he can guard a few more players he's I don't think he doesn't have quite the defensive hands of Caruso but he definitely is like very solid staying in front of guys he'll have to get stronger to guard bigger players eventually you know to guard like true small forwards who have a more of a power game but so against someone like Booker his athleticism and size was enough even though Booker did try to like go through him a couple of times he went into the post for a fadeaway daniels contested that really well forced a, a tough miss and then offensively we'd seen daniels play a little bit of pick and roll he certainly can attack and transition the three is a work in progress he didn't take any but he's such a good passer that i think as long as he could just make the ones that are like crazy wide open that just playing in the flow again kind of the way alex caruso i think is generally despite not being a good shooter hasn't hurt his teams too much offensively because he can drive he can finish a little bit with that floater but more importantly he can keep the ball moving make incisive passes so i i'm pretty intrigued by what i've seen from daniel so far and i think he's started only played 19 minutes like they finished out with Najee Marshall rather than him which I I'm not sure I honestly would have agreed with that although Marshall is a nice example of the depth on this team like you don't want him playing necessarily in the playoffs like this you know Willie Green's gonna play 12 guys thing you know he'll probably play him and shouldn't but he's also a very capable just body who can make shoot it well enough and defend well enough and drive well enough at that three position that they don't even necessarily need to have in their rotation when they're fully healthy. I I agree with that. And I want to add in one more stat. I was thinking about this while watching the game and I just pulled it now. I didn't think of it at the time. The New Orleans Pelicans have played 294 cleaning the glass possessions going into Sunday's game. So this doesn't include Sunday's game. When Zion Williamson, Larry Nance Jr. and Jose Alvarado have been on the floor together, I think that's kind of some, that's the foundation of some of their most compelling dangerous yeah. lineups. Yeah. Plus 32.7 net rating. Yeah. I think it's really interesting. And, and I, I was thinking about this and, and I don't, uh, they're definitely much different players and it, it, the starting lineup is not never going to include Jose Alvarado. And I also think it, another guy who kind of like Caruso just probably should keep him to 25 minutes a game due to his style so he can have maximum effectiveness, but 20 points. Remember he had that 38 point game against Denver last week as well, shooting the three. He's like coming off screens, shooting threes, like on baseline out of bounds plays now, like he was three or five in this game. Um, plus 13, 20.6, 10, he went right into the basket for some really difficult finishes. Also, he was two of four on contested finishes in the paint, but for a guard, like that's that's pretty good. Like he went through right through the body of DeAndre Eaton a couple of times to finish. And, you know, he's got good pick and roll play. And then just some of the stuff that, that I talked about where you can interact with Zion when they got really into crunch time, they were running a set with Zion dribbling up top and almost like kind of not necessarily Spain pick and roll, but Alvarado and Nance interacting in a way where they could first get 
DeAndre Ayton switch off of Zion and then run another pick and, and Alvarado could pop out to the three-point line they could get Nance running the back like those guys were kind of just playing off of each other I'm not sure whether they had like specific plays they were running or they were just trying to read that three-man interaction but that that was quite intriguing as well um let's see did you have anything else on this one I got uh, quite a few more notes I can well, get to just one other thing I'll mention is you think about that foundation for a crunch time or whatever of Alvarado Zion Williamson and Larry Nance is that the Pelicans despite that that group not requiring requiring either Brandon Ingram or CJ McCollum the Pelicans have so many guys they can try out in that group I mean Trey Murphy is one of them Dyson Daniels is one of them of course CJ or Brandon Ingram can be a part of it as well and Herb Jones you know you could go through yeah. a variety of them and and so that it gives David Griffin a whole lot of of wiggle room in terms of what in the world you do with this team moving forward because I'm not saying that like, that has to be the foundation of everything they do but I think it is the most interesting trio that they have and so I, I'm I'm going to be very very interested considering the assets they have the players they have outside of that that group and I I, I wonder. Another thing I was th- starting to get to this too is when when they're healthy, like, and I think it depends on the matchup. Like sometimes you probably need Herb Jones, other times you don't. But if you are going to have Herb Jones in the closing group, like they're not going to take Ingram out of the closing group. Nance has to be in there to, because they just need another big next to Zion. We'll talk a little bit about Zion's defense in this game in a second. But I think there may be a point, and this will never happen, of course, in which Jose Alvarado, if they are going to play Herb Jones, would actually be a better fit than CJ McCollum closing games for them. Like, I mean, CJ's probably a better spot up shooter, more willing, but Jose's getting to the point where he's pretty good there. And then obviously the way he screens, just the overall energy and defense that he brings at we'll see now cj he really struggled in the first half missed some finishes going to the rim he's really struggled to finish and then i thought he had one of his better quarters of the season in the third had six quick points and ended up having double digit points in that period and the way he did it was really attacking hard in transition and he had a couple of really nice attacks of the basket rejecting screens as well in semi-transition again and the suns had some bad transition defense there's a key possession of the game where i think it was a five-point game where they just don't guard CJ coming down with like three minutes left in the game. He misses a wide-open three, but he was so wide open that it bounced off the right. short off the front rim right back to him. And then he drove and threw it to the corner for Najee Marshall for the three that put him up eight, I think it was. And that, and that kind of ended the game with two minutes left. But uh, definitely the Suns could have played better for sure in this game. But man, I do not like this matchup for them at all. Um, anything else you had? I I want to give Monty Williams credit. They've had to navigate some really complicated situations, but when you put the extra attention at times on on Booker in particular, like when the ball finds Tory Craig, if he can take the shot that's right there, that's great. If he can't, if that's not what's there, if it's like has to make a decision, you know, the two dribbles and a good decision trope I've used for years, I don't love him for that. Just like I didn't in Denver. Well, he also can't enter the ball into the post either. That was oh, another God. problem, which was really bad. But yeah, I, I mean. The, the quintessential Tory Craig decision making was you know, up one against Utah, try to push it. I can't remember if it was up one or up two. Try to like push it for a layup at the end of game seven in 2020 and ended up missing that and getting Mike Conley that wide open three that just scored it out. Uh, man, what a sliding doors moment in NBA history that was. Like how how different would history be now if, if that shot goes in? But uh, Or if Utah just closes out <laughs> for a 3-1, 3-1 lead. So yeah, I, I've uh, 
But, I mean, Tory Craig, we thought he was going to just be a luxury tax casualty on this team. And, yeah, they certainly do miss Jay Crowder. Like, Jay Crowder, I, I'm not saying he could stop Zion, but he at least has, like, some level of bulk to provide some resistance. Uh, so we'll, well see if, if the Crowder trade an, happens. It's given us an idea, and it's funny because the Miami Heat are also an example of this in their own way. This is not, we're not talking about them in this, but the, how, we talk a lot about how power forwards change the way a team plays on offense, and like Julius Randle on the Knicks is a great example of that. But there are some really important, and Zion, Giannis, these specific players, who it also it also changes what you can and cannot do defensively. And in the regular season, you don't you know you don't need to worry about that too much. The the teams with these kinds of fours that bend everything are few and far between. But you do see it in specific matchups. Anything else you had on this one? No, that's it for me. All right, I got a, a few other little ones. Zion's defense has been lauded rightfully i I thought the game that we did the strategy stream was the best defensive game that i've seen him play i thought he had the biggest defensive play of the game where it's tied at 105 pels get a bucket i think it was a a three and then zion comes over from the weak side steals the pass to the roll man and goes down and just gets a massive dunk uh and just was shot out of a cannon coming over for that we're just seeing more of those efforts through i didn't think that this was a great defensive game for him i I thought overall he he had some times where uh he didn't switch on a spain pick and roll he gave up a dunk he got taken from the perimeter a couple times in scramble situations once by tory craig once by cp but he has been better in help defense you know there he executed their scheme a a lot of which was when valentunas was in the game they were going to put two on the ball and pick and roll up top particularly on booker if they pass the ball to Aiton on the roll, he was going to come off a Tory Craig in the corner and force him to throw it to Craig. And that's why Craig ended up shooting a bunch of threes and pretty well. But he executed that scheme and was able to be enough of a deterrent on Aiton that he had to make the pass instead of just going up and finishing. And But the most important thing, I think, for Zion is just that, he, at least right now, teams aren't attacking him sure like they're not just like seeing him as me going after him on switches i think teams probably should try that i'm not convinced yet particularly and you know the suns don't have quite those type of iso scores i would have actually tried him in pick and roll if i were devin booker and there were a few times that booker got him switched on and he just passed off so um you know this wasn't as impactful of a game for him he had some misreads and stuff but i I think it was still he's certainly gotten to passable uh on that end then you know valanchunas again he forces them to put two on the ball and pick and roll which is not great the suns got up 44 three-point attempts against them and then to go four or 60, I mean, that's just unacceptable. There's no reason to throw him the ball in the post against DeAndre Ayton. I think every single one of those post-ups failed. They were very comfortable. Ayton's one of the best post defenders, just leaving that one-on-one, and it usually devolved into like a really difficult hook shot fading away. Um, so I, I still think I would try to get another center because they are very dependent on Larry Nance. Larry Nance has been unbelievable so far this year, and he had he kills the Suns in the offensive class. So you could tell that's his game plan against this team. He did it in the playoffs last year had six offensive rebounds in this game but i and you know maybe zion is getting good enough defensively they can try him more at center particularly if they're playing herb and ingram and maybe one you know or like a daniels next to him as well just give a a lot of wing talent around him but it just like belgian he's not even doing the awesome offensive stuff at least in the games that i'm watching that are justifying him and that really seems like it's a failed move and i hope they realize that soon enough that then we have to like see him play in the playoffs for 20 minutes and we'll see what the matchup is you know if they play minnesota in the first round or something they'll probably play him but um let's see what else did i have here again this was such a fascinating game 
And the Suns do do a lot of stuff that's just so interesting. Their Spain pick and roll game is famous. They do so much stuff to disguise it and then bring the guy who's going to set the Spain back screen and pop out into the action, sneak him in. In this game, going and this is going against Willie Green, remember, right? Who used to be the chief lieutenant for Monty Williams. And, you know, they went against this team last year. So they had a nice new wrinkle where they knew, because the way you defend a Spain pick and roll is basically, especially if they don't set the back screen, you just have the guy guarding the shooter, the back screener switch onto the point guard. And then the guy guarding the point guard just switches onto the guy popping out. So the Suns like very obviously set up what would be a Spain pick and roll. And then as soon as like Dyson Daniels, for example, you know, he's instructed, okay, you got to get ready to take the point card. So instead of doing that, actually setting the pick and roll, the Spain pick and roll, they just had Devin Booker just sprint out to the three point line, right as Dyson Daniels is thinking like, oh, I got to switch on to Chris Paul. And then he just got wide open on that cut. Like Mm -hmm. they never even ran the play. He was just wide open. They got like two or three just wide open three pointers that way. It was, it was really fantastic to see. It's kind of that, that cat and mouse I mean, that spain pick and roll is so fucking hard to guard i mean there's a reason basically even the warriors i saw that they kind of did one <laughs> against boston they finally have, a, have embraced it with you know two of the best shooters of all time um what do you think of chris paul's game offensively offensively uh i thought there were times where he was you know said it he's he's such a talented passer he did it setting up Aiton has just been a, a real strength in his game but really creating that separation one on like in 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 the context for himself as a scorer that was a, a concern for me um but i so i thought he was i thought he was fine the stat the stats bored out but i didn't think he was like carving up the pelicans personally no no i didn't feel that way either i thought he was very aggressive shooting the three and we see chris paul evolve a number of times and it, you know i think he's certainly looked better since coming back from this heel injury i thought it was interesting that brian windhorst shared his suspicion uh, on their pod that it was more like achilles soreness rather than a heel issue that was a uh, that they felt like they needed to like protect his achilles and that's something that could be chronic as we know but Chris did play 34 minutes in this one. They could have used him to come back in. Like that's when the Pels pulled away when he got a, a break in the in the fourth quarter after they'd come back and tied it at 105. But to go six to nine for three, like that's I, seeing that level of aggression from three, I think is important because we talked about again how the Mavs attacked him on both ends where he just wasn't comfortable with the spot of three. A lot of these were, of course, off the dribble threes, but just looking to attack and transition. Now, I, the one thing I've kind of noticed about Chris Paul is like he can't really sprint anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like like he just kind of ambles up and down the floor and you just never see him on like a dead sprint and it's, you'd be surprised actually like how much basketball you can play never going at faster than like a jog and then maybe a couple of quick explosive movements here and there but uh he, he was aggressive from three but we didn't see hardly any of getting to the elbow getting that mid-ranger you know this is where he had that 14 of 14 game this game was in new orleans uh last year that was so legendary so yeah i mean i think it's he's coming back from injury he just played the, they got completely destroyed obviously by the celtics did we do the sun stats we did right yes i did them okay. earlier. yeah that was it's so long i just i can't stop talking about this game there was so much to discuss so yeah i think we'll but yeah you didn't feel like you know chris paul was like seizing control no of this game but they did get up a bunch of three pointers like damian lee had a nice game too that probably should be mentioned that he had yeah, and damian damian yeah. lee currently leading the nba in three-point shooting yeah and that was kind of his problem that he could never hit enough uh with Golden City he had like a nice no dip from the the corner. Okay, 
let's uh let's talk some more here that now that we spent uh 45 minutes recording on on three teams but i just i was so interested in this game and just what a problem zion williams is becoming like last thing i think he's playing better than he played two years ago now would you agree with that if over the last stretch yes this is the best this is the best i've seen him play in an nba context yeah and it's just like the whole thing like oh don't let him go left no, he's just he's going right just fine now. Like he actually is embracing that more. Like it, it's not and, and it's great to see too that like he had this kind of weakness. I think he just was focusing on getting back on the court and just doing what felt comfortable. And I think he acknowledged that he was going left too much and teams were playing him that way. And it's like, all right, well, I'm just gonna go as hard as I can straight line right. And uh I'm pretty quick going that way too. Yeah, for sure. Ah the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets, and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Let's start at the top of the alphabet with the Dallas Mavericks. Do you want to do their stats? I've been talking a lot. Okay. Dallas I'll is, have a sip of water. Dallas is <laughs> 13 and 13, 4 and 3 since the last 15 and 60. And that includes the Luca list loss to the Chicago Bulls on Saturday. That helped push them down to ninth in net rating, plus 2.6 per 100 possessions. They are seventh in offense, 16th in defense. And both 538 models have them finishing sixth in the West, 46 wins and 45 wins, respectively. And thus a high, mid to high 70s, 79% chance Raptors, 75% chance ELO of making the playoffs. And I just want to answer this one quickly from Corpse in Orbit. Um, it says Luca is an MVP level player in a heliocentric offense, but do you think the Mavs could be better with a more varied attack? And the answer is not with their current roster. Like the the Mavericks have a severe shortage of players who can actually dribble. And so leaning on other players to do those things and Luca 
at this point in his career is not a particularly great off ball guy. You know, like he he can have some moments, but generally speaking, it's part of the reason that the comparisons to Harden can be apt is the idea that they haven't fully he hasn't gotten that. I expect he will be a better off ball player than Harden in time, but in part because he spent so little time off ball now, Luke hasn't done that. So you could create a Dallas Maverick, you could create a Luka Doncic team that worked very well without him being this. But it is not this roster. This roster only works in my eyes one way. I think that I agree with that mostly. I don't think they're playing the wrong way right now with this group. But I do think that they're he needs to be able to be better off the ball. Like he agree, just, he's just not. It, yeah, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be a cop out. Like the the idea that because the ball needs to be in his hands all the time, Lucas still needs to spend real time getting better. And the, there are some moments where he does like a really nice give and go. And there was one in I think it was the end of that Bucks game, and it worked. It worked really well. It just doesn't happen enough. Yeah, and he just he's not looking to shoot a, a quick catch and shoot. I mean, it's it's amazing how like kind of similar to Harden he is in that way. You know, I'd love to have him like come off some screens off the ball, or even like get a like a, a little wedge screen for a quick post up because he's so good in the post. Although he can also just back down into his post ups, which is probably as if not more effective. And you know, I do think that like getting another way to attack with Tim Hardaway, especially since he's shooting well recently, has really juiced their offense. Uh, and I, I I do think like part of the reason he wasn't as high for me in the MVP conversation is just how high can the offense be pushed like the 1920 team had an amazing offense and they've kind of disappointed a little bit offensively in terms of their league ranking since then and with Luca on the floor and you might say hey they don't have anyone else but that this crazy heliocentric style how much can he and, and particularly also here's the thing too right if he just shot the way James Harden shot on three-pointers at his best and got as many three-shot fouls as Harden got on those as well, then maybe the style would work a little bit better. But I think he doesn't have that one counter. You know, if, if, I think last I looked, he was like 29% on threes this year. So that's just putting, you can't quite get to the absolute highest levels as an offense there. And also, I, I would say, in the playoffs. And then the other thing, too, is their clutch performance has typically been bad with Luca, and I think he just wears down by the end of games and that they only have one way to really attack they have no way to surprise the defense in the clutch he's going to dribble the air out of the ball it's always going to be late clock a lot of difficult step backs which he's shooting 29% on so well and, and I think that's a part of how the Mavericks one of the patterns this year is that they've had some really weird losses where they fell from ahead and it can be that they they don't really have that dynamism and so if it's not working they can't really do anything else i believe that's what happened in the pistons game if memory serves where they they lost that one eventually in ot but they they kind of lost it to some degree at the end of regulation and on the dallas clutch front so far this year they have a negative 11.8 clutch net rating and this i think gets into that idea that we've gotten from seth about how you get into crunch time Dallas is nine and nine in clutch situations with the exact same net rating as the Warriors who are five and nine. Well, actually here, let's see what Seth's stats say because he adjusts for that. Let's see what the updated there. Yeah, so Dallas is Oh, were you just saying Seth's stats? No, I was using I was using the NBA's version. Okay, yeah. So it looks like it's pretty close there. Yeah, they're nine and nine in the clutch games. Uh, but they've 
they've won one game fewer than expected during that period um because they i think they've entered they've lost more leads against those teams than would have been expected let's uh, do some quick ones here you got a couple of ones about just Mavs trades. Can they get someone who can dribble? Uh, is there a trade that opens up a path to Mavericks contention this season? I mean, I guess contention is you make it to the West Finals. And maybe maybe getting uh, Boyan Bogdanovich might be an interesting one if they could do that without giving up a first. That was the price to get him for, for the Pistons. But it seemed like also maybe there would be more of a bidding war for him, especially the way he's played so far this year, that that would be out of their price because remember they and i wouldn't advise them to the pistons also saved the jazz a bunch of money in that deal of memory serves which dallas probably will not do in a bogdanovich trade if they made it yes that that's true um yeah the dallas would be looking to save money themselves and and they how are they fixed for seconds going forward not great they dallas owes their 23 24 26 and 28 so they have their 25 and 27 i think they have their 20 i think they're allowed to trade their 29 you can correct me you're better on that than i am but oh well second rounder you could just trade whatever second rounders you want no i'm just saying i'm saying how many years out it's seven so yeah they should be fine oh right right yeah 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 29 is the furthest you can go right now yeah so now so really the only asset they have outside of a first which they don't want to trade because they're kind of saving those for the big score and they'll be able to trade all of their picks after this year's draft and they finally extinguish that obligation of the knicks from the porzingis trade it would be josh green Uh, michael way asks uh where would you two have josh green in a 2020 redraft we could kind of do this and then maybe talk a little bit more about the trade stuff but let's just go through i don't think we need to do the whole thing but who are the players that clearly would be ahead of josh green in a redraft right now he's shooting very well from three like he's a solid defensive player can dribble pass a little bit doesn't quite have elite wing size though kind of more shooting guard he's more of a two three i would say given his athleticism not like unbelievable length i don't think so and the three-point shooting it's better but it's also i'm not so wild by it so let's just count this off edwards definitely better than him ball who else did you say you for sure would take hal burton Halliburton, Isaiah Stewart, Sadiq Bey, Precious Chua, Tyrese Maxey. Yeah, Maxey is one. Uh, Jaden McDaniels. Yes, especially due to the position roles that they have. Desmond, Desmond Bain, Bain, of course. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one's, uh, that one's obviously pretty crazy. Uh, Daniel Otorio. No, sorry. Um, but I th- And I think at that after that, it's kind of eye of the beholder. Like probably Cole Anthony, you would say. And Josh Green could actually turn out a little bit better than some of the lower-end guys that we're talking about there. Like a Kong Wu is an interesting one you know would you rather have patrick williams or josh green at this point like that's that's an interesting question probably williams just due to his size but and and youth um yeah so i mean probably not maybe a little bit higher than where he was taken but not much uh, but he certainly has showed enough this year that I think he could improve to uh, boost that. I'm just, I can't buy the shooting, particularly because it's not like he's taken like 10 for 36 minutes or something like that. Yeah, either. I mean, jo- for, to, on that, I was just looking it up. Josh Green, he's only taking 3.8 three-pointers per 36 minutes. So the efficiency, the, the conversion rate is good. And Josh Green, you know, now with, with the success this year, a career 36% three-point shooter. But volume is important here too. And the ball's not in his hands a lot, but you still want to see that. But uh, lots more reasons to be optimistic about Green than we had two years ago, year and a half ago, but still not all the way like surefire, obvious starter of the future, like potential starter. Yes. 
Are there any players that know how to dribble you could see the Mavs trading for at the deadline, and how much would that help them? It would help them just diversify the attack a little bit, but they they already have Dinwiddie, so you'd kind of have some you'd have another person who could fill it. But they need to be able to do these other things. They you know if you're getting a a capable creator, if they're going to play meaningful minutes for the Mavericks in the playoffs, they need to defend credibly because if they can't, then there isn't a place there. They need to be able to hit open shots unless they're just going to be playing without. Luca and the number of the number of players who can dribble, defend, and make open shots that are available with the assets the Mavericks have, not many. Well, and I would say too, this not having guys who can dribble thing, I'm more concerned about that from a regular season standpoint than a playoff standpoint. Like I, I think like Luca and Dinwiddie are probably enough. It would, and they're not going to get someone as good as Jalen Brunson, right? No. Like we're we're talking about it just a backup quality of player. You know who I might consider maybe having some interest in would be Derek Rose from the Knicks. Mm-hmm. That may maybe, but we'll see how the Kemba thing works out too. Rose has a little bit more size though, which helps defensively. But I think the role we're looking at is a guy who can come in, survive defensively, dribble a little bit, and play next to either Dinwiddie or Luca, and that's probably a ten or fifteen minute game role. But yeah, they don't have the ammo to get someone who's going to be in their closing lineup, as you alluded to. So I mean, it would be that level of guy, maybe a buyout guy. You know, would Markel Fultz be someone they'd be interested in? And, and like, but then the, that deal—it's like a, a, you know, you're not giving up a first round pick. Like, why did the Magic want to do that? And then you're taking back crappy salary from the Mavs as well in in that deal, which nobody's going to want to do. I mean, maybe at that it's close enough to expiring where they would just do it for the asset. But I mean, they're only really expiring contract is either wood or powell and i think they they think they want to have at least both those guys so um yeah okay that's probably enough on that let's get to the nuggets here at 16 and 10 four and three since we last checked in on them they have a 1.7 net rating 10th in the nba number two offense they are rolling there unfortunately their opponents are rolling as well with the 27th ranked defense 116.2 still projecting for the three seed via both raptor and elo 50 wins and 47 respectively and over 84 percent chance the playoffs per both projection systems where should we start with the nuggets I don't want to necessarily go at this too hard, but there's the question about from Mark Edwards about the, the we got a number of questions about Denver's bench. And just to give the the updated stats on that as of when we're recording on Sunday, the Denver Nuggets, when Jokic is off the floor, not counting garbage time, negative 14.5 net rating. That's real bad. And they're seventh percentile or worse on both offense and defense at the same time. Um, 105.8 offensive rating, 120.4 defensive rating. And generally speaking, you know, one of the big problems with those lineups is that the Calvin Booth decided that DeAndre Jordan at center was really going to be their only their their only real option there unless they're going to play Najee, who's more of a four than a five in my eyes, and maybe Jeff Green, which also hasn't worked and also Jeff Green's been injured. So a part of it is get better there. It's a lot harder to do that in the in season than it is in the off season because there are just fewer centers available. And but so I think that the best 
the best that Michael Malone can do is actually hearkening back a little bit to the Warriors, which is these are we're defining this as non-Jokic minutes, so we can't say play Jokic more or something like that. It's try out and see who works a few of their other starters. So that does mean you're playing them less with Jokic, and that could be Jamal Murray to try to give an offensive punch. That could be Aaron Gordon to help maybe give a defensive identity or KCP. Um, but it the challenge with Denver is that none of those guys are like a, a real, like a full-on Draymond Green who can do a lot of that himself. Yeah, and they don't have a facsimile of their best player who can come in like Jordan Poole who can play the same way as Steph Curry, even though he's not not as good and yeah i mean what uh mark was talking about here this negative 22.4 net rating that group uh per cleaning the glass which i'm guessing is where mark got this is highland bruce braun michael porter jr jeff green deandre jordan and that group has only played 57 possessions together so that's not too crazy but overall obviously they've struggled with without Jokic, and you could say hey just do the kitchen sink let Jokic prop up all these bad guys at the end of the first and third quarters and then at the start of the second and fourth we'll just throw in everybody else who's good on our team i think jamal murray is starting to come into his own he's got a couple of 30 point games in the last couple of weeks so i think and we've seen him play a little bit more with bones highland we talked on previous shows about the crazy offensive role in terms of his total usage that bones highland has and if you talk about some of the other names in the nba who have that type of a role it's like we're talking superstars and bones highland is a nice prospect but he's not a superstar he's not going to be a superstar in all likelihood so that's just too much of an offensive burden for him so just being able to put jamal murray next to him i think could solve a lot of their issues particularly offensively as uh, mark noted the 96 offensive rating with that group but murray's just gonna have to be able to play more minutes play back-to-backs and hey you know what like they're still gonna win 50 games they're out base for the three seed like that's fine you know let's not there's no reason to wear out jamal murray like if you can't fix this maybe you get on the buyout market they can't really make any other trades like it's i, I don't like just watching deandre like deandre jordan isn't the reason that that group has a 96 offensive rating they can't score like he's he can just stand around the basket and dunk right like now i think going with Najee, maybe you can take a lesson out of boston or out of the utah jazz and say hey you know what like because we don't have great offensive talent let's just go five out and make everyone else look better like i think that's probably would be my approach well especially because they can't group. defend like if you yeah if, if you're yeah not the defense isn't working anyway so so yeah play play Zeke Naji at the five and and go with it in that approach and then we got a question on like what what's the path to the Nuggets being above average on defense and it's worth noting that as much as certain models love Jokic's defense that the Nuggets are obviously way better defensively when the Jokic has been on the floor they're still below average like they're they're below average when Jokic is on the floor defensively this year that was not true last year um but it was actually true the year before and part of it is Denver's giving up unsustainably high presumably opponent three-point shooting overall in the season 37.6 and 38.6 on above the break threes so a regression of the mean there will really help and also Denver, they're doing a good job getting back in transition defense. But, and I think a lot of this is noise. Like opponents are actually very effective in transition offense. Like they have a high offensive rating in those minutes. Some of that could be small sample size stuff. So like, I, I don't, I think that if the, if the line is 15th or better, that's very plausible. But to get to 10th or better, you're probably asking a lot of this group. They don't have that many great defensive players. Dan K is also focused on the bench. He says, is there a cheap, underappreciated center you would like to try to 
to grab. The first one that comes to mind for me would be Kelly Olenek. The problem they have, though, is a lack of matching salary. And I mean, they've got Ish Smith, they've got Jeff Green. That could actually get them there. But I think Jeff Green is, is important to what they're trying to do. Would Utah be interested in a Christian Brown or Zeke Naji as the, the piece going out there? Because Olenek would, I think, allow you to play kind of Jokic ball when Jokic is out of the game. And we've seen this with a lot of guys. There's, this is always the case with the Cavs, with LeBron out of the game and some of these other teams that just, it's not only that the guy is really good and the Warriors with Steph Curry have been like this too. And now finally with Jordan Poole, they found someone who can at least sort of play that way uh, when they put Draymond on the second unit. But it's not only that, hey, we don't have this guy to create for us. It's this guy is the system. So what the fuck is our system going to be? When this guy is out, we don't have a way of playing, not to mention our talent woes, so that maybe you can kind of play as like a Jokic. Like Morris has even talked about maybe using Flacco Chanchar in that role as a, as a guy who has some good feel. Anybody that comes to mind for you as, as someone they could try to grab as a, a backup center? I, I is DeMarcus think they, Cousins available? Sorry. I mean, DeMarcus would, would, be, a, would be a notable one. I think hey, you go- I mean, honestly, quickly before you say give your answer, like what if they just signed DeMarcus for like the last month where just like, hey, you know what, like, we can't stand having this guy around like all year. He's just too annoying, but like we kind of need him for the playoffs. We'll just, we'll just sign him for the last month of the year. It, it would be pretty amazing. Um, <laughs> but my thought, I don't think you can get a facsimile Jokic. So just go in the opposite direction and just get somebody who can help give you a defensive identity. I So one guy who's compelling because I know he's gettable, but the salary is a problem, is Nerlens Noel, where Noel, when he's been available, has really consistently helped his teams defensively. It's just the question, you're rolling the dice on how much he's going to be there. And then another one is Robin Lopez, where I'm not exactly sure why he went to the Cavs, just like I'm not exactly sure why he went to the, Ma- to the Magic last year, but... Cleveland isn't really using him a ton and he and he's not the you know like a star or anything like that but can help give them some of a a defensive identity there that would be would be the first the first two that came to mind if you're pivoting in the opposite direction which is what I would do I and there's kind of an obvious answer here Mason Plumley. you're not gonna you're not gonna do that to us to, to me to you well, it's, here, here's the problem with this, though, and the Olenek thing, too, is the Nuggets aren't taking on more money this year. If anything, they're going to dump Ish Smith to save money. You know, they're $11 million to the tax, $19 million tax payment right now. So you could get to the matching salary with Ish Smith and, and some fodder or, you know, a Davon Reed. Uh, I think that would be matching salary for Plumlee, no problem, who makes it like 9-5. But then they're taking on another $5 million and taking on you know a bunch of more tax money. I don't think they're willing to do that. Or they could match the salary, but the only way to really do that would be to trade one of the young guys that they like. Chanchar, who's kind of emerging, they just re-signed him. He's, he's Jokic's guy, so he's not going to get moved for Plumlee. And they don't want to put Jeff Green in that deal because he's probably more important to them than Plumlee. So, you know, maybe maybe Plumlee just doesn't get traded and then gets bought out and they could sign him. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's that might be some, a, a way that they could go also. Uh, last one here. All right, so let's do two more. One from Joe. The West is so weird this year. I have no idea who's even the best team. Why the parody is a good question. That's one that maybe is outside the scope of, of this year. But he asked if Denver has any hope of getting better than they've been so far. Sure. Improving their bench will help a lot. I, I think their starting lineups have actually been pretty good. So getting there, maybe maybe that's being healthier. I mean, healthier Jamal Murray will be there. Um, I... 
I wonder if we'll get like that fully operational Nuggets team this year. I hope we do. Because remember, we still have a long time until April, much less May or June. And also the things that have gone the most wrong for Denver are less relevant once we get into the playoffs. Yeah, the, uh, Bruce Brown has played well for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, KCP has played well for them. They, I wasn't as much of a fan of that trade for them early on for KCP, but it's become apparent that Will Barton isn't any good anymore, at least for what we've seen so far this year, which kind of changes that evaluation. And Monte Morris, I, I mean, Monte Morris would be helping their second unit a lot right now, but yeah, I think it makes sense to, it was also kind of more, hey, what could you have done with this deal if you didn't have to put Barton in it and save money? That was a, another criticism of that deal. But, you know, the deal did make them better. It's just, it could have made them better even more so if you're going to put those resources into it. So yeah, they have hope of getting better and particularly as Murray finds his footing. Remember that MPJ has been out again. So I think you get Murray and MPJ on that second unit. Like it, I mean, when you just look at the names, like it's good enough players to succeed. Like they, they should be okay. And then on Nathan Garrett's question, would an, Mike Porter Jr. for John Collins trade make sense for both sides? I want to see John Collins on a team where he can be the primary screener in pick and roll action because he he can be really dynamic in that. And Denver isn't the right circumstance. However, John Collins would be a really fun way to solve the second unit problems because if they just ran everything through whether it's Bones or Jamal and John Collins, I think they would do really well offensively if you put credible, credible-ish floor spacing around them. But well, I don't well, think the that's pro- Yeah, the big problem is John Collins doesn't fit with Aaron Gordon the way that right. Porter Jr. does exactly. as a shooter. I mean, John Collins could shoot okay. Like, Porter Jr. is an elite shooter. So, and that's what you need with Aaron Gordon, who's very below average as a shooter, though his efficiency has been preposterous this year playing uh, off of Jokic. So, I mean, he's like, got like 68% true shooting or something. Okay, we did the Warriors already, uh, at least in terms of discussing their game. We'll get to their questions uh, probably tomorrow. But the Rockets are 7-8. and eight they're on fire lately two and four since we last checked in on they're up to 27th in net rating 20 25th in offense now 28th on defense and uh still project for number 15 in the west although there is a five win divergence raptor says uh, they'll win 21 games elo says 26 that would be 15th for both of them and let's talk about some of these questions for the houston rockets The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Well, I just want to start up a little bit because I've, I've watched some of them that they have had these two wins. They had a really bizarre. I didn't watch most of it because Derek Bonder said not to um, the, the double overtime win. Ah. 
over the Sixers on Monday, and then they had that win. I think it was well a fr- not the most recent Friday, the Friday before that over Phoenix. Um, and they, the 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 Rockets have been playing better, other than when they got trucked by the San Antonio Spurs, who also have been playing better. I think we'll probably get to that um on our, in our Monday recording based on the alphabet. And so that's that's good news for the Rockets. Um, the we got a, a couple of different Kevin Porter Jr. related questions, and I feel comfortable answering this. I I posited this a little while ago. We were talking about something. It's basically like from from One Piece fan alert. Is Kevin Porter Jr. better slotted at two guard or playing point, and who has a better upside? him or Sexton and this is my operating theory of the Houston Rockets is that Kevin Porter Jr. is a talented off guard who can't play off guard because they don't have the guard and Jalen Green may get there in time we've seen some growth from him as a as like a lead creator you know like so Jalen Green just so we have it out there a little bit 0.854 points per possession as a pick and roll ball handler score that actually drops when you include passes in part because Houston's surrounding offensive talent isn't great but Porter Jr. isn't he isn't that kind of creator like that's just not what he does very well he can be a good catch and shoot guy and so the challenge that Steven Silas that Rafael Stone are dealing with is that they kind of in a weird way like the Orlando Magic of of, a few years ago I think it's like two iterations ago they didn't have the straw that stirred the drink and they had a lot of guys that could work if you slid them down the pecking order I kind of feel that way with Houston the hope is that Jalen Green can do it but KPJ I I just don't think he has that game so Maybe you solve that by getting Scoot. Maybe you solve that by trading for somebody or by signing somebody in free agency. And the the one that came up, somebody uh, that was that was Dorian Gibson asked, how did the Rockets get Fred Van Vliet from the Raptors? They have a real point guard. I don't think Fred Van Vliet solves this specific problem because that is Fred Van Vliet's biggest problem too. I think he would help a little bit. Uh, he would help, because- but he wouldn't solve it. He would, you know, like you'd be in a year, in a couple of years, you'd be like, well, then how are we going to do it moving forward? Well, like Kevin Porter Jr. has actually been a pretty good shooter in his career on yes. spot ups. And 81% of his field goal attempts per stats are, are self-created right now. So that's a number that I think could really stand to come down. And yeah, you don't see him working off the ball. Like how often does he get the ball on the move to use that great athleticism and attack the basket? And, you know, he's always got to like put his guy in the mix or, or run a pick and roll against a set defense, it, it seems like. So uh, yeah, I think as a third guard, he could be more interesting. And having him as a point guard like this is, it's a good way to lose basketball games which they need to do this year and then next year i think they'll try to find another guard you mentioned scoot as a possibility or you know maybe an, an amon thompson would be a, another guy who can handle the ball a little or bit more you want a juicy one? Oh god kyrie irving would they sign kyrie irving that seems that seems pretty incredible that they would do that so if their goal were to get better for the 23 24 season if stone's feeling his seat gets hot i think kyrie makes the biggest difference for them here's another thing uh, that we could talk about from porter jr too there's just again these are more indications that the load is too high 45 percent from two and then his contested finishing at the rim is only 46 percent that's a, a pretty low number as well and you know just need, need something that needs to be better if he's going to be a big time scorer and this is a team that hasn't had a ton of spacing and you know it's not like he's getting set up for like cuts off the ball or anything so i think he's got a lot of talent obviously there are also the uh, questions about his makeup uh, that have uh, waxed and waned over the years 
So we'll see. I, that, it would be a very interesting one. That would be a good Watfo of whether he has his first that first option picked up. But we'll save it for later. what else we got here. So I think that we can we can kind of bridge a lot of this stuff together with Steve Song's question of what does Houston have to do to take the next step forward? And I my biggest concern preliminarily, and they have a lot of young guys who we expect to get significantly better. Just as a point of reference here, give you some of the basketball reference ages for the players that Houston is leaning on. KPJ, age 22 season. Jalen Green, age 20. Jabari, age 20. Sorry, age 19. Shangun, age 20. So these are, and Tari Eason's actually 21, so he's on the older of this group. Um, I like Eason's defense quite a bit, and his activity on offense was impressive when they played the Warriors. Um, they don't have a calling card to me yet on either end of the floor. And the hope is that these players will improve to get there. But generally speaking, what concerns me is that you need, like, you would hope that somebody would have gotten there in some facet, like, oh, there's this guy who's getting to the line all the time, or it's defensive versatility, or they're X, Y, or Z. And that to me is an indicator that, of barring a major step forward, they need a player who's better than the guys they have. And so the dream there would be Wembenyama of course but the idea that typically you get your tone and those calling cards from your best players and that they've looked to me some of my favorite stuff has been when Eason and Garuba have been on the floor those groups have defended better they have some they have some things they can go on there but can you do that against starters I'm not sure Seth is this a tweet from Seth Partnow <laughs> The Shengun dunk attempt called a charge. Worst spirit of the game charge ever. I don't think so. I, I, think I have a correction one... on this. I believe it wasn't called a charge. Yeah. I think it was called an offensive foul due to the off arm. That was I, right, I, right. So it wasn't yeah. a charge. Yeah, and I didn't. I think it probably should have been called, but it was and it was upheld on the challenge. Like there was technically some off arm contact. No, the one that's the worst one is the Anthony Edwards dunk on Gabe Vincent from a couple of years ago, where that actually was a charge. It's like, hey, I'm sorry. If you, whether you're outside the restricted area or not, if you're just standing in front of someone and you're going to fall down on a dunk attempt, like, no, you're too close to the rim. That should not be called a charge. Like, the off-arm, like, that's subjective. Um, you know, I didn't think this was enough to warrant it, but I, there was something there to call. That that charge is just like, what are we doing here? As uh, one Seth Partnow would say. Uh, this is a good one from James Plowright. He's, he always has good questions. Who would you rather have for the next five years? Jalen Duran, drafted number 13 in 2022, or Alperin Shengun, who the Rockets gave up two future protected first round picks to draft number 16 overall in 2021? Scouting versus stats, baby. <sighs> It, to an extent, it is. I mean, Shangun, I I'm still wrapping my brain around his offensive game because there there are times that it like I mean it, he has some nice passing vision. He his footwork is v and flexibility is very impressive. But I'm still not there on Shangun defensively, and that's the most important thing a center can do. Like the there aren't many Nikola Jokic's in the world. There and I mean like and there's an interesting question about this with Sabonis, who we'll surely talk about at some point in the next. 36 hours but shangun has the ability to improve on that and like the shot blocking at times has been there ah i just haven't seen enough jalen duran yet i, I do, do you have a strong opinion here yeah duran certainly has shown flashes but i also believe he's never going to be able to shoot reliably outside the immediate basket area he's not going to be a guy you throw the ball to to for to run offense I think Shingun is probably, to me, going to end up being kind of DeMondis Sabonis level defensively. Maybe offers a little bit more rim protection, maybe not quite as good a feat. 
good rebounder, really good offense. Like I think Shagun is going to be a very good offensive center. And I can't, I can't say that about Duran. You know, with the still big questions about both of them. Shagun, is he going to be able to shoot the three reliably? How well does he defend? Like I think Duran maybe has a slightly higher chance of becoming a high level of player due to maybe his ability to switch his athleticism but i think he's just going to be kind of a pretty pure dunking type of center like i don't think he'll be as good offensively as like deandre Ayton. like deandre Ayton to me is about as good as you can get as an offensive center without really like creating a bunch of offense yourself in terms of just like throwing the ball and let him do something so i don't think he'll be that good offensively i think he could be like i don't and i don't think he has the defensive instincts and shot blocking ability like he could really jump but he's not that type of like you don't see that like rob williams level of raw shot blocking or anticipation at this age. yeah like the yeah. the 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 idea that with player centers in particular that have good defensive instincts even if they aren't positive defensive players early you get those signs of oh they like they saw this early or something else and so there is a second layer where it's like you can be a good defensive player without that but it's hard to be an elite defensive player without that so um that's it, it it's a lingering it's a lingering concern for me i guess is one way to put it so i think i think shangun has the higher floor and the higher expected value and that Dern might have the higher pure ceiling but i'm gonna i'm gonna make my bet on on the first two things not the third well and in terms of the ceiling like i would say alperin shangun is a higher percentage chance of becoming an all-star but again it's kind of more that vucevic sabonis style all-star right whereas yeah i think that like, I'm talking about if, a player that we ranked as like a top five or six center in the league. Like I would probably yeah. put Duran's odds of getting there higher just because Shangun, he's going to have to do a lot that defies my expectations and his own athleticism to, to do it. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'd see Duran his likely ceiling. I mean, you never want to because he's so young. Right. You but but like I just I don't see just that level of offensive feel and skill level like it would take really a lot of like crazy improvement from a skill level standpoint for him to be a guy that you're throwing the ball to so I'm kind of seeing him ceiling wise as more like a Clint Capella uh, from a couple of years ago maybe like a little bit more bounce a little bit more switchability so maybe like an evolutionary version of Capella but that guy is probably actually more useful to a really good team than Shingu so it's kind of weird to think of like the more polished player actually would be less useful to a really good team than the guy who's more raw and but yeah i think but ultimately i think shingun i have a lot of confidence that he's gonna be what i think he's gonna be whereas juran is just such moldable clay and i don't see the upside to be quite high enough from a skill level standpoint to make up for the greater certainty of shingun so i think we're is, both on is, the same is, page is james here. wiseman ruining ruining our ability our faith in in young developmental bigs news at story at 11 <laughs> let's get to the la clippers now Kawhi is back such as being back is for him they had a, a big win on the road against the hornets where Kawhi hit the the game well, winner and and they had a horrible loss to the magic where the clippers were up i think nine and then didn't score a basket it was funny i was watching the broadcast and they didn't talk about this at all maybe because it was the clippers broadcast they didn't score a field goal in the last 437 of the game then went to overtime and then had this hilarious thing where both paul george and Kawhi leonard were close to their minutes limit so they both weren't on the floor for most of overtime and then paul george checked in with 20 seconds left in overtime it was the whole thing yeah. was nonsense. and Kawhi came back in with like a minute, minute and left. 14 left yeah and 
you know, Zach talked with the Om Young Music for a long time on his pod a couple of days ago about, and a bunch of it just consisted of like, all right, the, what are they actually going to like try to win basketball games here? And, you know, I, I'm not saying Zach is not aware of this, but I think it's just kind of like, you know, what else is, what else should they be doing? Like, should, should they be handling all this stuff differently? Like, I'm not, like, it just, the situation just kind of sucks. Like, these players are fucking injured. Like, you know, Kawhi sprained his ankle again. And he's going to be out for, like, you're, are you going to bring him back before he's, like, 100%? Like, you wouldn't do that for any player in the regular season. It's just, like, the problem is that the guys keep getting injured. The problem isn't how they're handling it. I agree. But let's, let's um, keep going with their stats. I apologize. I sidetracked you. Well, no, I am I sidetracked myself, I think, actually. Um, But, yeah, so so they're 15 and 13, 3 and 4 since we last checked in on them. They're actually 23rd in the NBA, negative 2.3 net rating. The offense is execrable 29th defense they are sixth and they have a 10 and 6 record in the clutch having won 2.2 more clutch games than expected per assess metrics and that is second i'm sorry excuse me that is third best in the nba portland is at 2.3 and brooklyn is actually at 3.1 interestingly enough and per quitting the glasses version of it the clippers are outperforming their net rating by the most in the nba they're three wins above what you would expect with their net rating yeah so they project for the ninth seed by both projection systems right now including raptor which uh, i think is discounting uh, Kawhi leonard quite a bit or uh so 41 wins per raptor 39 per elo 19 of both of them 50 percent chance of the playoffs in raptor and 35 in elo uh, can we just talk about them like a little bit generally before we hit some of these of just like how you're feeling about these guys like are, are you at the point where you're just ready to write them off no I'm not quite there yet. And in part because Paul George is having a is having a pretty good season, not in overtly dominant. This isn't the that year in OKC where I think I had him third in MVP before he got hurt. But he's doing a nice job offensively. He's been pretty good defensively as well. And I'm starting to feel better about some of their depth pieces. Terrence Mann's had some nice games recently. And John Wall, I think, is looking a little better than Zubats, of course, had that wild almost 30-30. So the chances that they reach the heights that I thought were a possibility for them, that is faint. But the idea that there is a team that can end up with a top six record that nobody that that teams are a little bit afraid to play because it's like, oh, shit, what if they actually get there? I think that potential is there. But the idea that the Clippers are like this is something that will come up incidentally talking about the next team, too, where it's hard for me. Like I don't think the Clippers are going to win the West, but I think they could win a playoff series or two. But they'll probably have to win three as the as the road team. I like the lower the inferior seed. And that's just I think that's too much to ask. The biggest thing is just that Kawhi Leonard is having a crappy season so far, and it's it may be a process for him to get back, but he's definitely hasn't shown that same level of so not even to talk about uh, him staying healthy, but just to when he's been out there on the floor, it just hasn't looked the way it's supposed to look. And I think he'll get to be better than this, right? If you yeah, take where he was playing the ACL and now, now maybe he'll just always be injured, right? Like maybe that that's part of uh, this evaluation that you have to throw in there. I mean, certainly this start, 
both the way he's played the way some of their other guys have played the and then also the way he's just been injured again it hasn't been able to stay healthy at all and and it's particularly more concerning was like the knee soreness after those first two games that kept him out for like another three weeks or whatever it was or month i'm not gonna say that that Clippers ceiling isn't there but certainly the chance that they reach it is much much lower than you would have to say at the start of the season when it looked like he went through training camp he was fine so um i i think even if he gets to sort of obviously if he gets to the level like literally the level that he was at before he hurt himself they're a contender if he is gets to the level you would expect him to be at healthy but coming off a torn acl and two years older than last night so you reduce what he was doing two years ago down for an acl and down for being two years older i don't think that's good enough for them to really be a serious contender even with, I would say, the top of the West not being having the same peak values as we as we may have expected, I think that's I think that's true. And yeah, you just where is the offensive upside? That's the biggest. I mean, they're 29th in offense. Like that's unbelievably bad. Like I, I, even without you know PG has played half the season now. You know, like he, he's been pretty decent. Also, they're they're that low in offense, and they've been 12th. They're 12th in three point shooting. Like it's it's not like oh they've. I mean that they're not first by a mile like they were like they were that one year but it's it's not like everything has gone wrong for them offensively just many many things boris asks so what else do analytics models use to predict the player clippers playoff percentage of the future success when their two best players have played six games together this season well so raptor is focused most on at least the the raptor projection system is focused most on who are the players who's going to be available what is their history and i'm not sure precisely how they deal with the projection for Kawhi, given that he missed all last year and his age and all that stuff um you know generally the the projections have been lower on the clippers i think for that reason and a lot of these projection systems as well will discount the future games played based on past missed games which (laughs) seems like probably a a good idea for the clippers and of course it'll use what they've done so far this season so i I mean i think when you look at raptor saying they're 41 and 41 well they're saying all right really good really good defense really bad offense all right that's about 500 team um as that's and again without totally getting under the hood on those i mean there's a huge explainer for raptor on 538 when they debuted it a few years ago that if you're truly interested in that i, I recommend reading Trules asked why don't the clippers just trade Kawhi's trade value has to be pretty high i don't even know how those negotiations would go because there would have to be a bunch of different medical evaluations the teams are generally very risk averse and Kawhi leonard is under contract for this season and next and then has a player option after that that player option will depend immensely on how he plays between now and then so I I think the idea that Kawhi's trade value is incredibly high without a firm confidence in his medical and I have no idea how you would have a firm confidence in his medical so I'm I'm less confident than the questioner that his trade value would be incredibly high at this point yeah and then you throw in just that he wants to be in LA so badly I I I could even see him possibly retiring if he got traded like I I mean or or sitting out or you know like it's 
yeah, it's yeah. He, he's he's a very difficult player to deal with. It's, that's become clear, I, I think. And and this is and that's been for the Clippers when he's exactly where he wants to be. Like, how would, much would that change if he if he went elsewhere? And I mean, here's another reason to not trade him. They don't have any draft picks <laughs> until 2027, right? So that's they can't really tank. Well, yeah, but so at I, this point, yeah, and so I. But I think the bigger part of it is is so the only reason you would trade Kawhi as the Clippers is if you got a, a real return for him and. What? Why would another team do that right now? There could be a point in the future, and I sincerely hope that there is, where we feel confident that Kawhi Leonard, even if he's not the same player he was a few years ago, is back to that, and maybe then there will be market. And you know who would want him at that point? The Los, a- sorry, the LA, not Los Angeles Clippers. So it it's exceedingly unlikely to me that there is a circumstance where another team would think this is the guy for us, and the Clippers would not think that. I, yeah, I understand the thought of, hey, maybe it's only going to get worse from here. Sure. But that's, Very I possible. think that's, that's unlikely. I think it, I, and also there's the idea that you're in LA, you moved heaven and earth to get this guy. He really wants to be here. Do you really want to just trade this guy against his consent somewhere else? And I, I would certainly say that, and wherever you trade him, I mean, maybe it would go wrong for them and you might get some unprotected picks to refill the coffers, but and you owe your entire draft through 2026 uh, to the Thunder already. Uh, yeah, I think you just, you hold on to him. And uh, even if he, he thinks it's going to be a two-year process, he's not even going to be back until next year. So you just, I wouldn't even consider having that conversation with him until like next, like, because if he is that guy, then you just you've got some more picks like you've got Steve Ballmer's money you could take on a bunch of guys who are overpaid but you know they could add like the Tobias Harris or something to this team like so guys who just contribute but that other teams don't want because they're too overpaid um well and speaking so yeah speaking of that I think that ties in a little bit with uh, Salah's question asking about trading as the Clippers would you trade Robert Covington in a first for Miles Turner and as a point of reference here the Clippers cannot trade a first round pick before 2028 because of their existing obligations and for LA's perspective here so one part of it is you can't realistically play Turner and Zubats together now you could resolve that by either staggering those guys or by eventually trading Zubats and he's on a reasonable contract he, you he, he would probably be sad about that considering you could argue maybe he took below market but it's he's getting paid plenty of money so it, it would be the way things work out the the key question becomes how enthusiastic would Miles Turner be about re-signing with the Clippers because the great thing about having an owner who's willing to spend these astronomical amounts is that maybe there is a vertical there is an upward limit for Balmer but Miles Turner is a significantly better basketball player at this point than Robert Covington so if Balmer's willing to pay the marginal difference and or shed salary in a different way maybe by trading Luke Kennard or figuring things out maybe it's something with Norm Powell then and in Turner's willing to resign hell yeah you do it yeah unfortunately I don't think that would be enough for Indiana they would get better offers than that to I me, would think or so. they would rather just hold on to him and, and renegotiate and extend it because it would just be it would be a 2028 uh, and almost all likely to 2028 first round pick rather than you wouldn't want to do 29 because then that would lock up their 27 28 and 30 picks so if you go 28 then 30 would be open uh at the time of the draft so but yeah i don't think that indiana would be interested in that i mean i think i would be more interested as indiana in a just one of the lakers first round picks which maybe would be forthcoming i don't know so uh 
Hut Hut Raul, I believe is what that is. That was very difficult. Do you guys have a favorite theoretical consolidation trade for the Clippers? So let's ask this question first, Danny, of just what does this team need to you? Other than like some sort of even stronger thing than a hyperbaric chamber? Um, I would love to see a more dynamic lead guard, even if that player is marginalized somewhat, if Paul George and Kyle Leonard are hundred percent, I, then somebody who's better than Reggie Jackson and John Wall. I think that's probably the biggest thing. They have so many options on the wing, even if they're older and imperfect. So that, I guess that would be my target. They have guys who you can say can be a small ball five. They have the switching lineups already in place. So I would say that's the biggest thing. It's funny because we thought of this team as one of the deepest, maybe in NBA history coming in and almost everyone has just been a little bit more injured or a little bit less effective than we would have hoped that they would be this season I'm sure there's a thought that John Wall can get better I've always been somewhat against the idea of getting more at point guard to me the ball is going to be in the hands of George and Leonard and if those guys aren't good enough then they're not good enough it does, to get a point guard who's going to be almost certainly a defensive liability to play with those guys you know Kawhi Leonard is not just like flying off screens off the ball now maybe George is a little bit more but this is this is never going to be a team it's like oh man we're just like doing these great cuts we're getting guys dimed up off the ball it's like no we're going to go to work mostly in isolation mostly in pick and roll but we're going to have great spacing and that's a that's how we're going to kill you so I actually thought the Miles Turner trade was an interesting one I just don't know if they have the goods for that now could you throw in Terrence Mann or Jason Preston or Brandon Boston Jr or you know, are they interested in a Mirkov? Some of these young guys would they would they even be interested in just a Zubots for Turner swap? Since Zubots is uh, on a reasonable contract going forward for two more years after this one, like, could he be part of the value there? Maybe. But I like the idea of Turner, just someone who can shoot, but also gives them that high defensive upside because it feels like they're not going to be this ridiculous offensive team that they were two years ago i mean maybe they can catch lightning in a ball during the playoffs but i'm just i'm not sure how they get to that point offensively unless Kawhi goes crazy so it, it seems like there isn't with the ammo they have nothing really wows me but or that maybe some sort of a like a small ball switchable center type who offers you more rim protection but there are so few guys uh, like that available and they probably don't have the ammo to go get that player either so I want to close here. We're, we're about out of time. Still going to get to the rest of the alphabet as well. Uh, to talk about uh, the late Paul Silas, uh, news uh, of his death uh, emerged today. Um, the two-time All-Star and actually was second in games played behind John Havlicek. Law Murray had a great thread uh, on him on Twitter that I'm getting a, a fair amount of this stuff from. And then was a, a coach in a number of different places starting with the Clippers in the Donald Sterling era and going through the Hornets, who's LeBron James' first coach as well, also coached the Bobcats. But I, I thought his biggest legacy to me, he won two championships with, with Boston and a third with Seattle. He was kind of the original mold of what was the modern archetype of a power four like he was the first one of because it used to be you kind of you just had two forwards and they kind of did the same thing we're actually going back a little bit more towards that model now if you look at a team like say phoenix uh, the way that they've played the last few years there are more teams like that but he was the one who kind of brought in we're going to have the second forward who's not maybe as much as a scorer he might shoot open jumpers but he's not really going to post up as much but he's going to be a rugged rebounder rugged post defender and he was kind of the first one of what later became the Horace Grant, Charles Oakley 
type of model at power forward. And eventually you then had power forwards like Chris Weber and Rashid Wallace and Kevin Garnett, guys who like there was a time when power forward was almost the premier position. Tim Duncan was playing power forward and then they would play next to another bigger center. But through the 80s, late 80s, and then into the mid 90s, Paul Silas is kind of the first of the evolution into that rugged rebounder, more of a power player. Like he was one of the first just power forwards uh, that I can think of. And so that's kind of his biggest legacy to me. And obviously a great winner and uh, having won three championships in the 70s. uh, And also to to be at that size, to make it through, I think it was 16 NBA seasons. He played from 64 to 80, I think, uh, was really, really impressive. And also his still has a legacy with his son, Stephen Silas, uh, today and someone who has been very well talked about and, and no one ever had a bad word to say about his character in the NBA, really just an NBA legend and two-time all-star. So uh, I thought it was just not that I knew him or anything like that, but I, I thought he, particularly because of the role that he played in the evolution of the game, uh, I thought it was, it was worth talking about him and uh, condolences uh, to his family. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Till then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.